Hi and welcome everybody to the first episode of season two of the Waking Up to Autism podcast. I am super excited to bring this back. There has been quite a gap between season one and season two um, just because of the wonders of life. Um, But I have got some incredible guests lined up for this season um, and I'm so excited to be able to bring different neurodivergent voices together to be able to share their unique story of what their journey has been like so that they can share it with you the listener to help create awareness to promote acceptance and to just make this place of of our world a much more inclusive one so without further ado I'd love to welcome Anthony Harding as our first guest of this series so hello Anthony do you want to just introduce yourself to us hi hi Claire hello Um, you all right (laughs) right it's got real now um, mm. Yes, um, I am 41. I have been together with my wife for 17 years now, coming up to, uh, married for 13, unlucky lucky or not. <laughs> We've got three amazing children, um, aged 14, 12 and four and a half. Um, two of my children have additional needs as well um i work currently work as a nurse associate for the nhs i've been with the nhs for about five years now altogether in various kind of settings and departments and trusts and stuff um you know before that i kind of did a bit of care work for 10 years prior to that which has kind of ultimately led me into nursing mm-hmm. and then you know i've had quite a, an adventurous kind of you know many jobs more jobs than what people have had hot meals Mm, absolutely (laughs) and and we're going to get really we're going to dig deep into this because um Anthony and I were just chatting before we pressed record and there are so many wonderful parts of Anthony's journey that I'd love to explore and I think are going to resonate with so many people that are going to be listening so what I want to start off with though Anthony is your 2022 what a year that was for you. Wow, Can you just talk yes. us through your 2022, Anthony, and what happened? Well, I'll go to probably I'll start off in March, mm-hmm. where I qualified as a registered nurse associate. Mm-hmm. Um, that, at the end of March, I then finished my contract with current employers, my former employers there, and started a new job. May of this May of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, within about three or four weeks into that new new position, I was literally sort of had a horrendous shift, literally sort of like was drowning, you know, just being really qualified, going different hospital, different field of nursing, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, manager pulled me up to one side. And obviously kind of what, what's gone off, you know, kind of like, oh, how the hell have you passed sort of thing. Um, well, that was my impression anyway. But obviously I explained to her kind of what my journey had been like the, the previous two years before as a student. Um, she kind of said, well, let's kind of see what we can do to help sort of thing. Uh, next day she called me and I'm thinking, oh my God, what's happening here? You know, am I going to go on some sort of like boot camp course or something, you know? Um, 
but no, she kind of said, look, we've got a workplace assessment team um, that will kind of help you and kind of identify if you've got any sort of kind of disabilities. So I thought, oh, great. So she gave me an email address. I obviously emailed them, got a referral. That was, um, spoke to them about June, um, went through kind of a, what I could only describe as a therapy session for two hours, just mm-hmm. going through obviously my life history and stuff and the struggles that I've got. Did um, various online assessments, which came back that I was dyslexic and also showed that I had dyspraxia as well. Right. Gosh. Then from, then did another further test just to see kind of how far we were. Mm-hmm. Um, the dyslexia, dyslexia was literally on the fence to mild to moderate so as far as much as the fence as you could possibly be Mm -hmm. um that was diagnosed that was confirmed in july the day before my university graduation so again things started to be put into place with work and stuff Mm -hmm. that kind of then gave me the meat on the bones to go back to my gp which i had done a few occasions um, to get an autism referral for an assessment mm-hmm. and which to my astonishment they agreed to just kind mm-hmm. of based on what had come from these workplace assessments and from family history um, so lots of forms to fill out lots of questionnaires my mum had to fill some stuff out my wife had to fill out loads of forms um, so set them back initially got told that it would be about at least 12 months before I got seen. So I think about four or five weeks later, I gave them a call. Mm-hmm. They go, have you got the questionnaires and all the forms? And which they said that they did. Then they said in the next breath, well, we've got some extra funding. We've got an outsourcing company um, that is kind of doing autism assessments online. So it's going to be about six months rather than a year that you're going to be waiting. So obviously all my details and all my questionnaires kind of got sent to a company called Problem Shared. I think they're best down south somewhere in like Portsmouth or something. Mm-hmm. And literally the next day they called me. Wow. Again, from there I had um, like an initial appointment, a fact-finding appointment. Again, more questionnaires to fill out. <laughs> One's for my mum to fill out all over again. One's for my wife to fill out all over again. Um, and then we got a couple of appointments come through um, beginning of November. Mm-hmm. Uh, one for one for me, one for my wife. I said to my wife, I said, whatever you do in this appointment, do not hold back, let rip. You know, you kind of probably find it as much, you know, to let rip as much as what I'm going to do. So it was literally like she was downstairs speaking to one consultant. Mm-hmm. I was upstairs speaking to another consultant. And then literally on the same day, in November 2022, I was diagnosed with autism. Wow. What a roller coaster and an absolute whirlwind, because obviously, as we know, especially the older we get, how fast time goes. So within sort of between July and November, you have been obviously officially diagnosed with three separate, um, you know, obviously the dyslexia, the spraxia, and obviously being autistic as well. I mean, and also it's it's just 
mind-blowing to me as well and refreshing to hear that obviously for whatever reasons when you qualified as a nurse and you were at work and it seems that there was that shift where the, the wheels obviously came off and things just weren't going right and there was some challenges that you were facing that that person came to you and was like how the hell have you qualified what the hell's going on their instant thought wasn't just oh we've got to get rid of this dude he's an absolute nightmare it was what can we do to help and that was the start of what then came afterwards yes I mean to be fair they have been absolutely incredible to me the support I've received has been amazing and I probably I haven't been supported as much as where I am now than any mm. workplace in any job that I've ever done mm. Mm. you know um things that are in place now you know I've got um, an autism mentor that comes and sees me every two weeks um yeah. again I've had kind of things like obviously occupational health referrals um support in you know, having meetings with my um, employers, I've been redeployed into a clinic, mm-hmm. um, which has been fantastic. You know, I've got getting some really good feedback on that at the moment, kind of settled in, found my niche. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're letting me kind of work at my own pace. They're kind of not pressurizing me to do anything. You know, they are everybody that I've come across since May, since I started, I've, I've been incredible I can't thank them enough and without without them you know I wouldn't have been diagnosed Mm. and I wouldn't be continuing in practice yeah and what an absolute travesty that would be you know to you individually as a human being to still be because you probably I, I don't know please correct me if I'm wrong but without that diagnosis and to maybe have another breakdown of employment is that it knocks on your self-esteem, your confidence. What's wrong with me? Why can't I fit into this job role? Why can't I do what the other nurses have, are able to do? Or whatever it might be. I I think sometimes as a human default setting, we look to blame ourselves. Oh, God, definitely. And that's what's kind of how I was feeling all the years before that. And that's what you I know. want to go on to ask you, Anthony. So obviously since May and this employment, which have been amazing, and it does, as a parent of autistic children, it's stories like this that give me some hope for the future and how we want all employment settings to be. But just talk us through, Anthony, the 40, you know, the 40 years prior to that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, comfy. And um, yeah, go. <laughs> um, okay, so this is like my Prince Harry stroke Ronaldo with Piers Morgan moment, isn't it? It is, it is. Go for it. But honestly, because what I really want to do is, although it's lovely to hear about the positives, unfortunately, the reality is, is that these positive stories at the moment are really few and far between. And the reality is you using your voice to actually tell us, tell everybody that's listening to this, what you've had to endure to get to this point of some acceptance in the workplace. Oh, my word. Um, You want me to go all back. Um, When I was a kid, um, well, like preteen sort of thing. Um, nothing kind of showed up, anything. I was quite bright, quite, you know, was seen as a boffin, was told. Um, I used to be, when I was a kid, obviously, like eight, nine years old, I was proper into football. It was like hate of, like, Italian 90, Gaza, Paul Gascoigne, that sort of thing. Um, and I remember collecting all these books about the World Cup and stuff, and I could know the scores of teams and scores and who won and who was the top scorer something to the point where my mom and dad was honestly gonna apply for me to go you remember the tv show you bet i do i'm yes i am <laughs> old enough to remember that they were <laughs> talking do. about they were going to talk about 
send me for that. And that was like when I was like seven, eight years old. Wow. Um, you know, when I was at junior school, the teacher kind of said, um, he should go to the the best comp school in the borough. Mm-hmm. Don't send him to the local one, send him to the best, which is literally, you know, God knows how many miles away or how many buses I've got to catch to. You know, you've got quite an intelligent kid on your hands here. Obviously went to the local school. Comp school was a pretty tough time, not going to lie. And how did that affect you? When you say it was a pretty tough time, can you kind of share a little bit about what you mean by tough time? Just fitting in. A lot of fitting in. Had a lot of problems. Um, My old man, he had cancer at the time. Um, He survived that and for another 16 years, God bless him. Um, but obviously that was tough for me, tough for my mom. Um, ended up having to move schools at 14 just because of various problems, bullies, that sort of thing. Um, move schools, things were slightly a little bit better. Um, but I kind of obviously, during this process, you kind of, you know, all those things that you put in the back of your mind for 20, 20, 20 25, 30 years kind of mm. be, come back to the surface. And I can remember one time, uh, you know, when you're at school, you did work experience. Yeah. Now, my granddad, God bless him, he was um, a security guard at Griffin House, which used to be like the big Midland Bank, what's called as HSBC quarters. Okay. Um, So he got me work experience there. It was all fine. I kind of met with them and everything. He kind of showed me around, you know, great as a 14, 15, I know great, all these people in suits and what's, you know, Mm. kind of really important. And then about a couple of months later, well, a couple of months before I was due to start, actually, I got asked out of class at school by the deputy head, um, who basically told me I wasn't good enough for it and gave the work experience position that my granddad had got to me to another kid in the year. Did the, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so hang on. So did he give an ex- did he give an explanation as to how could, he'd come to this conclusion that you weren't good enough for a work experience placement? Um, that is a question you need to ask him. But obviously, right. I remember that thing when I was like 14, 15 years yeah. old. It was so detrimental, probably now, to going through those period up till doing my uni degree. Wow. I actually tried to find him on my graduation day to say, you know, that guy who didn't give that work experience place, you know, look at me now, you know, sort of yeah. thing. Um, because that is such an impactful age, isn't it? Those teenage yeah. years are so impactful. And for somebody who you would see at that time as a, as an authority figure, a deputy head, somebody that you may think, well, he must know what he's talking about because he's an adult and he's a deputy head and he's whatever, to turn around and li- basically say you're not good nutshell, enough. Yeah sticks with a person doesn't it isn't that just yes horrendous that's just awful yes. oh my goodness I Sorry, did, I did, I did. so I ended up doing my work experience at supermarket which is absolutely fine there's nothing wrong with that but then you kind of think well that's kind of all you're kind of good for um obviously final year GCSEs um I only got grades D to E spent a lot of time out of class I was having quite like fainting episodes and things like that um mm. I was admitted to hospital a couple of times. Um, nothing kind of came from that or just from stress from the exams. I was about to say, do you feel that was sort of stress, sort of overwhelm related? 
Possibly, yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, like going back some some years now, mm. um, and then obviously because of my experience at school, didn't go to college, didn't go to university, something that I kind of now regret. And this kind of went straight into work, employment, you know, YTS schemes, that sort of thing. And pretty much all the way late teens, early 20s was I probably had more jobs than what other people have had hot meals, <laughs> you know. Um, right. That is but all kind of like entry level stuff. So it's kind of like retail, call centers, sales, um, you know. Yeah, those kind of it, like you say, entry level jobs. Do you feel, so when you say you had more jobs than hot dinners, do you feel that that's because you felt like you'd been pigeonholed, that you'd been sown this seed that you weren't good enough for X, Y, and Z, so the college and the university you hadn't pursued, but actually these entry-level jobs weren't fulfilling to you and that you knew deep down that you had so much more that you were able, like, it's like we quite rightly said, there's nothing wrong with these jobs whatsoever, but if it's not your bag, if it's not your thing and you're thinking, actually, there's so much more that I could be doing or wanting to explore, is that maybe why you swapped? sort of chopped and changed or was it a fitting in situation because of obviously being neurodivergent but not knowing it at that time I didn't think I was good enough that is that kind of precedent at 15, 14 15 years was that and that stayed for me for quite a long time mm. I think a lot of it is to do with fitting in um just again conflicts with management conflicts with colleagues and things um you know, in my late teens and twenties, I'll be honest, I was more bothered about the nightlife than going out and getting drunk three nights a week. <laughs> you know? Yeah. At that kind of age, you know, kind of sort of as some sort of kind of release. Um, but yeah, it was just not fitting in and stuff and conflicts with management, conflicts with colleagues. And you know, I remember one particular occasion at a certain job, um, in a retail job, I was kind of sent to cover somewhere. I don't know. I think it was like Manchester or something. Mm -hmm. Well, unbeknown to me at the time that all my work colleagues were all out um, at the area manager's wedding. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So there was quite a bit of sort of isolation. Yeah. Not being, not that, fitting in. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of. And as awful as it sounds, I just sort of got used to it. Yeah. But that's so sad in, in its own way, it isn't is, it? Yeah, yeah. Hearing you say that, and I know that so many people probably will relate to you saying that, that you kind of, it's just how it was. And I just kind of got used to the fact that I wasn't invited to the wedding. I wasn't invited to the, the beers after work. I wasn't invited or I, I wasn't included in conversations in the staff room or whatever it might be. Um, because do you feel as well, when you say that you've had a lot of conflicts with sort of people at, at sort of um, employment places and, and work settings, um, I hear from quite a lot of neurodivergent people, especially autistic people, that there can be that challenge with sort of tone of voice, social interaction, maybe being yes. a bit blunt, struggling with authority and knowing um, what is okay to say to your, your peer colleague, but you wouldn't say it to your boss type of and not quite maybe understanding that. Do you think that had an, uh, had a huge Im sort of element base to it? Possibly, yeah. But I kind of acted in work kind of no different as what I would kind of act outside of work sort of thing. Mm. Um, Do you think that they just didn't understand you? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, because I couldn't understand me sometimes. I thought I was this, you know, I am who I am. And obviously that's, you know, my personality, my interest, no matter how kind of obsessive that they were. And, you know, some days I could be obviously bouncing off the ceiling and other days I'm like, sort of like, you know, nobody kind of speak to me. I want to be on my own sort of thing. Um, yeah. Which kind of precedent is not just... Um, in work but probably out of working you know trying to maintain friendships which is you know I've kind of lost count of how many friendships I've you know sort of of people I've fallen out with you know to a point where I could dedicate an entire podcast alone to that you know what I mean yeah well um, let's just kind of touch on that then so with regards to so obviously interacting with colleagues in the workplace and management and, and navigating that has obviously been tricky and, and has maybe hindered you in, in a lot of ways and made you change jobs a lot. So how do you feel you have navigated friendships, whether it's been at school, as an adult, growing up, etc.? How How is that for you? How has that been for you? Right now, I think. I can count on one hand the amount of friends I've got, and that includes my wife, because at the end of the day, you marry your best friend. <laughs> totally. Um, but again, life, life life gets in the way of things, and you obviously you don't get to see people, and you know it's quite difficult because we've got lives, we've all got our own responsibilities sort of thing. But I, I can just sort of remember, you know, trying to telling people kind of what I liked and what, my interests were regardless of how obsessive or not they were but then at the other point I was just sort of like being a sheep you know kind of following the herd you know what other people were doing other things what were into instead of kind of following my own path mm. and again that wasn't only till I kind of stopped you know you know this isn't right and literally within about two or three weeks I, I met the woman on my the, the love of my life sort of thing you know and 17 mm. years later here we are yeah so how was that when you kind of obviously as somebody that I from what you're saying kind of finds it challenging with those sort of social interactions and navigating and because sometimes there's an awful lot of conflict with um in the work sector and also obviously in your social circles and friendship breakups etc how have you navigated as 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 an autistic man not knowing that you were autistic with finding your the love of your life and getting into that relationship has relationships with women when you were growing up something that you found easy to to navigate and do I know that it's not always very easy for a lot of men whether they're autistic or not you know when they think back to their teenage years oh and, god <laughs> you know sort of approaching the girls and ask or whatever you know obviously I'm talking about approaching girls so I know you're heterosexual but um you know how has that been for you have you kind of felt that it's been harder obviously I'm talking pre-17 years ago before and there were there were girls there were encounters with girls yeah. um but none of them took me seriously till till Joanne came along and she even kind of said I mean we report that she she liked she loved me because I am different mm. and that's kind of you know kind of when I read that that sort of you know kind, kind of sort of welling up and stuff and you know, we, we make a really good team and with everything that we, we have to deal with at home and, you know, you know, home life is, you know, it's fun, it's interesting and, you know, we we love each other and we're, we're here to, to the bitter end. Mm. Um, but in terms of sort of like before, like I said, there were girls, one's, you know, 
maybe you know people other girl people like me i didn't instigate it or didn't feel it or you know i needed to have a few drinks before i came quite confident approaching mm-hmm. but again when i was going out back in those early 19 years i could obviously i couldn't make conversations so we used to kind of i used to as awfully it sounds like dress up mm. um like other crazy things um like there was one occasion a friend someone who we went out with got all the white cones from the science lab at college and we went out dressed as doctors <laughs> so they were just quite you know quite poetic seeing the job that i do now or we used to kind of go out into cna or wherever remember those and buy buy mm. similar t-shirts and stuff or black shirts white ties um his hair and then there's the jacket which my wife keeps telling me about this crushed velvet red jacket which looked which makes me look like it's crossed between Hugh Hefner and Johnny Depp when he plays Willy Wonka <laughs> wow Anthony, and wow. Um, I, I keep I keep saying to I keep saying to the missus says I'm gonna buy another one just, but she said no you're not no no don't do it don't do it but then again I'm gonna have nowhere to go to you know yeah 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 but now, but do you feel that that sort of dressing up was kind of like a masking and an armour, but also a conversation starter? It kind of got people's attention and, you know, people yeah. going, oh, God, what are you dressed up as doctors for? Why are you all wearing the same yes. T-shirt? You know, yeah. it just got that initial interaction going. Yeah. But yeah. did they kind of, was it the right kind of interaction? Was it people looking at you and having a bit of a giggle and going, oh, they look a bit strange, all dressed like that? Was it getting you the right attention for what you were actually wanting it to get you? Obviously not. You know? no. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not. No, they're looking, but you know, it, it, I mean, it was some fun times um, yeah. as it was, but you know, I, I kind of, you know, wish if I had that confidence or had that sort of like direction, let's kind of look at other things. I might have done my, gone straight into my nursing after school and things like that. And that's something I kind, kind of regret, but you know, it's, it's better late than never. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it can't be overlooked mm. how, from that moment where that deputy head said what he said to you, which would obviously, and I'm, you know, let's not put maybe all the blame necessarily at his door. There's probably other things that also contributed to it, but that was a real significant moment. But when you think about what that then led you on to and the jobs and the self-doubt and the limiting beliefs to actually now be in the job that you are destined to be in and that you've navigated that, not knowing that you are autistic and dyslexic and and dyspraxic, is an incredible achievement. I know. You must be super proud of yourself. Oh, God, definitely. Um, I think it's everybody kind of says, you know, especially who I work with now, that says, you know, you're an, you're an extraordinary person. Your wife's an extraordinary person for what you've, you, you've achieved given all the circumstances that's been put against you. And, you know, you, you certainly have got a story to tell, mm-hmm. which is why I'm kind of sat here now talking to you and... You know, you can you can kind of do anything as long as you kind of put your mind to it. And you know, I, in my old age, I've become quite resilient at mm. um, that. And you know, just kind of fighting like Sly Stallone in Rocky Four, just to get what I want. It's like you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna defeat me, me and my family, sort of thing. You know. <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. And I think you have to have that in internal grit and determination. Um, 
but that you know with that come you know you need to obviously dig deep and get some some real strength so where obviously you're working at the moment sounds incredibly amazing with with the support and being inclusive of you and making what are very reasonable adaptations to help make the workplace accessible for you and and therefore you are and and, and everything like you say you seem to have found your niche you're getting into the flow of it do your colleagues all know that you're autistic and if they do do you think that that's really helped you to connect with them because now they know maybe why some days you're a little bit kind of maybe hyper and bouncy and, and wanting to be quite obsessive about chat stuff or some days you need to be quieter and more kind of left alone and changes need to be done in a certain way is that how it's kind of evolved and you're feeling more supportive in a more holistic approach I see me being neurodivergent as a badge of honor hmm. I ain't okay. hiding from it I am autistic I am this dyslexic I am dyspraxic you know they did mention ADHD it's like well we've got three let's throw another one in shall we <laughs> you went for the hat trick <laughs> yeah um but yeah I've, I've kind of said people I mean my wife says well we always knew we always knew <laughs> you know sort of thing you are a, you are you know there is that uniqueness about me mm. um but yeah um but do you find that, so do your colleagues know where you work now? Are yeah. they aware? And they kind of are then sort of like, do you feel that that's made them more embracing of you and more accepting because they have that knowledge? Yeah. Whereas the people that you worked with before didn't. And if they'd had it, do you think, how do you think they would have maybe been if they had known that? Well, I, I don't know, really. I mean, Obviously, beforehand, they may have still been obviously the comments and the statements and the emails that got, you know, that got sent about me. And, you know, you don't know whether people would have been a bit more understanding before and if they knew that I was neurodivergent. I mean, I didn't even know I was neurodivergent. Mm. I just thought I was a bit of an oddball, you know. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, where I am now, it's like, yeah, you know, I am, I don't try and make a big song and dance about it. Same mm. at home, you know. I am, I am autistic. I am neurodivergent. You know, it, it is what it is. You know, you take me as you find me. Mm. And so I think, how has it how has it impacted you to find out that you're autistic? What what changed for you? What shifted? What did that open up to you? I think. Um, I mean, when I got the initial confirmed diagnosis, I was like, right, okay. You know, I've kind of achieved all these things, you know, a foundation nursing degree, um, my GCSE Maths and English 22 years after I left school, a higher education diploma in health and social care, all without a formal diagnosis, all without the correct inverted commas support measures in place, with nobody knowing that I was all these things. So I really, I was really proud of that. And I thought, well, what things can I achieve now I know I'm divergent? And with the right kind of tools in place, uh, which is where I kind of thinking at now. But there was kind of like a little bit of a period, you know, when the kind of consultant's report comes in, that it's a lot to digest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while this is this disclaimer on the front, we don't expect Anthony, this is not for Anthony to change who he is as a person. This is just confirming his diagnosis. But when you're kind of reading this 18-page consultant document, it can obviously can be quite detrimental. You know, when we read it about with the kids who said, right, gloves are off, we're going to make sure we get them the right school place and the right support setting and 
EHCPs and all that kind of stuff. But when it's about you personally, it's like, well, now I'm still me. I still, I'm still dad. I'm still self-proclaimed trophy husband. <laughs> I've still got all my qualifications and everything. But now to the outside world, I am somebody with a disability. I am somebody who comes under the Equality Act. Mm. How are people going to treat me now? You know, who is... And you, you kind of go into the house and say, well, can I do the same stuff as I did before now? And, you know, it it got me in a, like I say, it took a while, but, you know, mm. this, me talking to you is kind of start of this journey of me being some sort of poster boy for other neurodivergence, you know, that you can still achieve whatever you want with the right tools, the right support in place. It just kind of means that we have to go around the scenic route. Yeah, totally. And I think um, from the other sort of neurodivergent adults that I've spoken to who have been diagnosed as adults, there is undoubtedly a period of reflection and digestion of that information and a whole host of emotions that I think, um, from what I've been told, that that comes with it. So there is and should be a huge amount of pride that you have got to the place that you've got to um, without knowing this really integral piece of information. But I think as well that a lot of people have said there is an element sometimes for some um, of a bit of grief, grieving for the person that was before the official diagnosis who didn't get the support that they needed, that were maybe labelled wrongly, um, cast aside, you know, um, um, what's the word I'm trying to look for, underestimated, um, and where they would be if they had had that diagnosis as a child and had the correct understanding and, and support. Is that something that resonates with you? Oh, God, definitely. I was, you know, that kind of obviously, there is, regardless of how accepting or not you are of a diagnosis, there is still a grieving period. Mm. And that grieving can lead to anger and frustrations like, well, why wasn't this diagnosed when I was at school? Yeah. Why wasn't this diagnosed, you know, 18 months ago when I was a student and I was absolutely struggling in probably what was kind of one of the most traumatic periods of my life? Mm. Um, why did nobody notice this? Why didn't previous employers support me the way that my current support, support employers are supporting me now? You know, there is this, you know, you, you kind of think what could have been, but now for me, it's like, well, what can we do now? Mm. Where where can this lead to? You know, you know, somebody said to me, you're in a very unique position. You are a neurodivergent who is also a qualified nurse. Mm -hmm. You are, and you also, your experiences as a neurodivergent individual and as a parent to kids with additional complex needs, you know, is more valuable than any sort of degree or any sort of qualification. A million percent. And I'd love to just kind of explore that a little bit further, because like you say, you work for the NHS. Before I started at Waking Up to Autism, I worked for the NHS for 16 years. So not like yourself, I wasn't clinical. I was sort of admin, um, office-based work. But where you're obviously working now in that department and that woman that obviously said to you, right, Anthony, what on earth's going on? And actually, rather than just casting you aside, wanted to help support you to find out what was going on and has, has led you to where you are now. 
we as as you and I know, the NHS is made up of so many departments of all different yes. people working in it. Um, you can strike gold or not. How do you feel the NHS as an organisation embraces neurodivergent employees? And also, do you feel the NHS takes enough onus on themselves to ensure that they are neurodivergent aware when it comes to the services that they provide to patients and family members? Looking now, I know I'm incredibly fortunate because it mm. took five months from referral to diagnosis. Compared that to my son who took two years on an urgent referral to get his diagnosis. And so obviously in terms of obviously kind of the wider picture, you mm. know, it just kind of shows how completely balls up the system is, you know, there's extra funding for adults to get diagnosed, which is great, but where is it for the kids? You know, there's probably people like my son and, you know, other parents and carers of people with, of kids with autism and additional needs that probably need that diagnosis a damn sight more than people like me. Mm. Um, and that's just kind of looking at the wider perspective. Um, I think my, like I say, my experiences before obviously qualifying 2022, you know, it was, it was like I was plate spinning, sort of juggling all these sort of things. Um, you know, I'm always grateful for the opportunities that I've been given. But, you know, it was those kind of three, three, four years leading up to this were quite, were, were pretty traumatic, you know. Um, whereas one department maybe is quite accepting, another one isn't. Same mm. as one trust is accepting, another one maybe less so, or which is kind of obviously based on what the experiences that I've I've had. Yeah. And obviously I'm seeing the benefits of it now, but you know, it's it's the right place, you know. I've kind of, you know, I'm at a hospital where, you know, it wasn't my obviously I've only been employed with them obviously for a year now, but you know, I, I spent two or three weeks since as a student there and obviously they, they all welcomed me with open arms so mm. it was it was kind of fitting you know you know those two three weeks as a student felt like you know all inclusive holidays to Barbados compared to where I was yeah. compared to where my base was um so I kind of knew that I'd, I'd fit in the in the right place but you know I think for me is to learn from my experiences and that you know, I mean, this can be transparent in any kind of employment or education setting, but obviously in a nurse's setting, you know, my kind of messages to nurses who are managers, clinical educators, practice assessors, course facilitators, university teachers who are working within learning development is that right now or somewhere down the line, you're going to come across a student nurse or a TNA or an apprentice that you kind of see is a problem, a thorn in your side, um, you know, isn't grasping it, can't, whether that is the demands of the course, the academic work, just where their base placement is. But the reality is, like I was, we, were, we are struggling and trying to do everything that's being asked of us, but... And the reason that we are struggling because we've got undiagnosed hidden disabilities 
that have completely been missed. Mm. And if one NHS trust, one workplace can offer this workplace assessment, which can lead to further diagnosis, then why can't all the others? Yeah. You know, if funding's an issue, why can't trust, you know, trusts and employers and universities, can't they all club together and stuff? Mm. And, you know, it, it could make a, a big difference to, to whether, you know, we are a valuable asset to whichever we work, place we work for, um, you know, whether that is just doing something that's related to our interests or having X amount of patients or working in clinics or, you know, whatever it could be, you know, it's rather as be doing something in, to, to the community and to society than not being at work at all. I mean, at the moment we're looking around like school settings for my son and, some, and, it, and we went round to one school, they've got, a lot of them have got post 16, you know, units. Mm. And the person who looked around and said, we really struggle finding like work experience for autistic people and people with additional needs. We mm. find that in the big wide world that, you know, there are more closed doors than open ones. And that just absolutely broke me because that means that's people like me, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's with kids and other kids, you know, why, why can't they do something that interests them or works? so many hours a week or something you know mm -hmm. we need to kind of embrace neurodiversity and you know we are we are, we are part of fabric of society absolutely and I think that to be honest with you employers not just the NHS but in general because you know only about 20 percent of autistic adults are in any form of paid employment um the workplaces, the businesses are missing out on such an unique, creative, um, you know, engaging group of people that bring their own skills and contributions to what would make a really inclusive and vibrant workplace. Um, and I think a lot of it is that only small changes need to be made. And it's about finding people who are willing just to spend that little bit of time and energy thinking a bit more outside the box or not being fearful of people who are different. And there's a lot of fear around, I think, um, from businesses and workplaces about having autistic or neurodivergent people for work experience or employing them because they don't understand them. And that fear makes them retreat. And that's not the answer because yeah. then, you know, autistic people are being overlooked and actually they're, they're a huge asset. Um, so there is a definite work. And I think what's really interesting to speak to you and about the NHS in, in particular is that a lot of people in society would probably quite innocently but wrongly assume that they would be a lot more on the ball when it comes to being inclusive about recognizing people with disabilities or that who are neurodivergent because they're a healthcare setting they are in that world and I know that there's been parents that I've worked with who have had to take their autistic um, children to hospital for whatever reason not because not for an autism assessment but you know I don't know whatever having their tonsils out or they've broken their leg or whatever it might be and they've been really shocked at how naive doctors and, and nurses and other healthcare professionals don't actually understand or know what autism is and don't know how to help support an autistic person receiving treatment and how to engage with them or how to adapt their practice 
accordingly is that something that you've witnessed yourself yes um kind of but it's kind of funny you mentioned it because the last assignment that i did was the risk assessment of patients with autism and learning disabilities going into hospital mainstream mainstream hospital settings for treatment mm. and just the risks involved and what we can kind of do to prevent that i even created a poster based on like you know the fizzy pops you know syndrome you know where they kind yeah. of build it up and so obviously from a distance it looked like a coca-cola advert <laughs> um, which I was quite proud of and I think there was another another sister who was you know nowhere near you know with social media you get to network with quite a few people um, that was going to use it in her trust I think she was quite like a, a sister or something and was going to take it to like the directors of her trust but um, I don't think I mean it's I don't think it's anybody's fault, but I, again, there's not enough awareness and not enough training that's out there. I mean, the Oliver McGowan training that's coming up, that's going to be rolled out to all NHS trusts and healthcare employers. But, you know, it is a start. It doesn't scratch the surface quite much, but, you know, and I think we need to, the code says that we have to make reasonable adjustments for individuals who have got, any form of disability or mental health condition. That's something that I was kind of, you know, champion about because not only of my previous work experiences working with uh, service users with autism and learning disabilities, but as a parent as well, mm. you know, you know, there's hospital passports that people do, but, you know, do they read them? Do they take notice of it? You know? Exactly. Um, There's all it's all these good intentions and how obviously the you know the process says that those with disabilities should have, you know, be respected and be embraced and, and included, but we've actually got to make sure that people do what they should be doing on a day-to-day -day basis. It is like I said, there are improvements in place, but you know, you know, it's part of our role, it's part of our as healthcare professionals to do that. Mm. Um you know, whether they're coming in for gastro or, you know, or they're going into sort of like having an X-ray or to a &E or things like that. Um, it's just kind of people need to just be more aware, just make more of a conscious effort that it may take time. And those reason adjustments could be, you know, spending, taking extra time with that patient, booking a room for them, booking a, an extra appointment somewhere, finding mm -hmm. a quiet room or, or things like that, you know, but it's easier said than done, especially with, they're really busy and there's overcrowding and, and things like that. And but you know, experience does experience outside of work settings does benefit when you're in those situations. You know, in work settings because you know mm. I've been there, done it, got the t-shirt sort of thing. Mm. But obviously, somebody who is probably in their twenties may not have you know who hasn't got kids who's probably never come into contact with people with additional needs you know sort of thing yeah and hence again why having neurodivergent people in your workforce is so integral because they bring just that skill of lived experience um yeah. and that level of understanding so that when especially in in, in your sort of um work sector when you are dealing with the members of the public and different people walking through your door you're going to get neurodivergent people every single day coming through in, in one way 
um, or another? I mean, is it something that you would love to sort of take a lead on within sort of the NHS, even if it's just within your department, about creating more awareness and sort of providing sort of training and and taking who you are and your unique um like you said with the you know you're neurodivergent yourself you're a nurse you work in the nhs you've got children with zen and using that to make those changes i would love to do kind of something like that i mean this kind of thing's already been discussed by being like a disability rep for my trust and Mm -hmm. even sort of like opportunities out of work like doing a careers day at a a post-16 unit for an sen school that's kind of Mm -hmm. been mentioned as well um but you know it's once I've kind of obviously got you know start to you know see the wood from the tree sort of thing Mm. and obviously it's something that I would absolutely love to do but you know Mm. and I think you know because of how supportive they've been where I'm working now that I can do something and sort of like within the workplace setting and kind of out out of it as well you know I've I've got I've got a lot of experience you know being like you said being neurodivergent and as as a parent as well and previous work experience you know working with people with autism and learning disabilities and mental health and which you know it's it's kind of in a way sort of like playing to my strengths really absolutely and you've got so much value to to, to bring it would be almost like it would just be a shame it would be it would be a waste not to do something with it you know and, and to be in that position and be able to help make things because I always think if you just make it better for just one person then that it's worth doing it's worth yeah. sort of being that vulnerable. Job done. yeah exactly and you, you've you've made a real massive step in the right direction with it all just even like chatting with me today because you know people listening I think sometimes can not fully engage with how brave and how vulnerable it is to come on a podcast to talk so openly about real personal things and things that have really affected you and touched you and and everything like that so it's it's very easy sometimes to keep small play small and not put yourself out there um but actually the magic that can be created and the shifts and the changes that can can happen when you when you're brave and and dare to be vulnerable is it, huge and so that's a huge um you know well done to you for doing that I think reflecting back I just, like can't believe how much I've achieved and and you know I should be proud of it and let's let's put it to some good I mean mm. you know who's to say down the line that I may you know down the line in this career you know go into learning disabilities and do my learning disabilities top up and you know become a a neurodivergent who is a learning disabilities nurse but obviously Mm -hmm. you know there is a logistic point element and a financial element to that and Mm -hmm. you know where I am I'm, I'm really happy where I am at the moment and you know it just everything just sort of fits into place so I don't want to kind of rock you know (laughs) any point I think you know I need as much as it's important for me to kind of be this poster boy for neurodivergence you know I also need that bit of stability as well yeah totally and I think it's really um there's a lot of um 
insightfulness from you and acknowledgement that actually this is a really new thing for you even though obviously you've been autistic since the day you were born the information that you're processing is all very new and it's about you getting yourself into a good place where you can then do that work from a place where you're not because you know like we were talking about feeling the grief feeling the anger the frustration you're still processing all of your own story you don't want to then reflect that you want to be able to come from a place of stability and and that you've actually processed that and you can then really take those lessons and showcase them and share them from the the best place possible without triggering yourself and putting yourself through too much too soon yeah that's what I'm kind of don't want to do I mean the last six months or so has just been this constant tidal wave of appointments and meetings, whether that's for me, whether that's for my kids, and that's not mm. including the phone calls, the emails, the letters, the forms to fill out and that sort of thing. Mm. So I think this is for, as a long-term sort of goal. Mm. And me talking to you today, you know, is the start of that journey. You know, mm. there is doing this means that there is no delete button, there's no mute button, there's no block button. This, you know, this is for everybody in the pet guinea pig to hear <laughs> sort of thing, you know. Yeah. And it's sort of like me kind of, in a way, coming out as a neurodivergent. Yeah. The world. And that's and, huge. And how do you feel about that? How do you feel? I mean, obviously, we're going to we're coming to the end of this this podcast and you've been you've been incredible. How does it feel to actually have, have done it and talked about it? I think I need something stronger in my tea. But... <laughs> Uh, my, my need, my, I need to go back on the book, a couple more packets of bourbons or something. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, you know, because like I said, we kind of, like I said, me and my wife, we always used to joke about you. I think you are autistic and stuff, but never in a million years would I get get any sort of formal diagnosis at my age, let alone be sat here today talking to you and mm-hmm. kind of saying, you know, I survived it all sort of thing. Mm-hmm. and like I say if I can do all these things then other people can you know other neurodivergence can it just you know mm-hmm. there just needs to be more time more support they need to be in the right setting the right academically employment wise you know mm-hmm. we, we, we can make the world a better place absolutely so I'm gonna I'm gonna round this this podcast off with one final question and what yeah. I want to ask you Anthony is like talking about that 14 year old boy and when he was stood after he had had to move schools and the the bullying and that deputy head teacher said what they said um, about how you weren't good enough for that work experience placement and when you can visualize that boy if now as the man that you are right now could walk into that room with that boy standing and could say something to him what would you say? No, I still see it as a 14-year-old. I still see it as a 41. I'm still that, to me, I'm still that person okay. um, in, in a kind of way. But I will say to him, look, don't let anybody ever tell you, anybody make you feel like you're not good enough. You've got this. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to meet somebody that's going to absolutely love you and think the absolute world of you. You'll have kids who will think the same as well. Um, go and do your nursing degree straight after school. Um don't worry about this other jobs and messing around with jobs. Go straight for it because that 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 is your calling. You know, travel instead of getting drunk in nightclubs. Um, you will meet your favorite pop star 
but it's going to be another 25, 30, 25 years as she'll follow you on social media. Um, and that'll be it. But don't get too obsessed with her. You know, <laughs> your priorities are, you know, be obsessed with your wife and your kids and enjoying your life. And how does that boy feel hearing that? He's like, get in. So don't panic, don't stress. Mm -hmm. Plenty of sleep. You know, your colleagues there waiting for you. Absolutely. Really powerful. Really, really powerful. Well, I can tell you, Anthony, that you've done that 14-year-old boy immensely proud. Um, and it has been an utter joy to speak to you. And as I've already said, and I will reiterate time and time again, I'm so grateful to you and all of the neurodivergent guests that give up not only their time, but come and share so openly and vulnerably with us. Um, for the people listening to this podcast, you're allowing them into your world. And I'm so grateful for that. That's such a huge honour. Um, and thank you so much for, for speaking with me today. Thank you. Thanks, Claire. This is being this yeah, another therapy session that I've been ticked <laughs> off the list. Absolutely. It's all part of those that journey, isn't it? Into what comes next. And it can and we get to choose, don't we? You know, you get to to choose your path and to to make those changes and to to live your most authentic life. And I think that's yeah. a real gift that we get to do. And I'm so excited for you that you're you're on that journey now with that information. Um, and I look forward to hearing from you as to how that progresses over time as you as you navigate it in in whatever time frame is right for you. I, th I think people will get fed up at me at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about that. If they do, they 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 all about us autistics. What about us neurodivergent? Yes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> just you can't get just, me that easily no exactly exactly and don't ever dull your light for fear of what others think so yeah. you keep doing you but thank you so much Anthony thank you thank you too thank you thank you